Well, good evening. It's good to see you today and tonight. I pray the Lord bless you for being here as we worship the Lord. I thank David for being here and leading us in worship. John is filling in, playing the piano. It's just such a blessing. And it's a blessing to have you here this, this evening. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians as we continue looking at this letter that Paul wrote to the church. We've heard the phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want to talk to you tonight about life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 12 through verse 20. You know, in some Western countries today that were formerly highly Christianized, and, and in, indeed I believe if the Lord tarries, it's going to happen in our country at some point. The passage I'm going to read to you and the passage that just was above it that we looked at last week is going to be forbidden to be read in churches without penalty. That is to say, there'll be those who will say, if you read this, you'll either be fined or you'll probably be arrested. I, I know this sounds strange for you to hear this. I'm 63 years old, but at the beginning of my ministry, I was sitting in a minister's uh, group, a fellowship at, at associational office, and, and I was a young fellow. I was skinny, had brown hair and all that. And uh, I'm sitting in there with these other preachers, many of them, look like I do or older and I said I expect before my ministry's over to be imprisoned for preaching the gospel in this country well, you know some of them sort of looked at me like are you crazy but you know I'm living in the days where I actually believe that is very possible it won't take long it won't take much uh, but the right people in the right places of power that could very easily happen this is one of those passages, but Paul, is, again, as I told you, he's writing to a church that has a lot of problems, and so he's blunt, he's dealing with issues one right after the other, and, and he wants to deal with liberty and how this particular church uh, had been abusing it. Ironically, the limits on freedom of speech uh, in our country, for example, will be imposed by those who just a few years ago were all about tolerance until they have power, and then they're no longer uh, very tolerant. Uh, it is true that the Corinthian church had adopted a view of tolerance that was based on pride, as Paul reminded them as they were uh, indulging or allowing uh, immorality to take place. But they had other views as well that was very difficult for the Apostle Paul to comprehend how they had come to this point. And yet at the same time, uh, he was addressing a motto that I actually believe Paul himself may have used. I think this was something that Paul actually taught the church they had just taken it the wrong way and had run with it the wrong way. Have you ever heard anybody do that before? Maybe, maybe as a parent you gave your children a certain uh, a set of instructions, but they interpreted that wrong and ran with it the wrong way. Maybe that's happened to you at a place of employment where somebody said something, but somebody took it the wrong way. And I think Paul had, um, had used the phrase, all things are lawful for me, and this church had heard this and said, oh good, <laughs> we can do anything we want. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, Baptist, y'all just believe you can do anything you want. Well, this was the attitude that this church had, and undoubtedly had become Baptist. They were looking at this passage of Scripture, I mean, they were looking at this, this phrase that Paul had taught them, and, uh, and they had gone from uh, the liberty that they had in Jesus to becoming, uh, well, in our day and time, the, the party they would probably belong to would be the Libertarians, but they were Libertines. They were just people who had come to this place that believed everything should be uh, without boundaries they should, they should just be complete and total liberty so as we look at this passage of scripture tonight paul's addressing this 
But he's dealing with uh, liberty in terms of what the Christians should see. And, and, and I, just real quickly, too, I'm going to say this, too, before we get into the passage. So, so the background here is the Greeks believed that the body and the spirit, they weren't, they weren't connected. There was, no, there was no interaction between the two. And so they believed whatever happened with the body didn't really affect the spirit. Whatever was going on with the spirit didn't really affect the body. They just believed in, uh, in, in this compartmentalized way of looking at uh, the human body. Now, the, the Jewish people did not see it that way at all. They see you as an entire living being. A, uh, body, soul, and spirit was what was the totality of what it meant to be a human being. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul, of course, had been uh, a Jewish uh, Pharisee, but he was also uh, of, of a Greek mindset, and he understood the problem. And so he addresses it with the church because this is actually the same problem that created the issue about whether Jesus was fully human or fully divine. They couldn't conceive that he was both. Because it just absolutely went against everything that the Greeks taught about what they taught in terms of being God or being man. You couldn't be both. And you sure couldn't be 100% both. You could be a demigod. You could be a half-man, half-god, like they thought about Hercules and Perseus and some other people. But you couldn't be fully man and fully God and be in the same body. They just could not conceive of that. And so errors kept creeping up in the church about this. Paul had to address that as well, but he's addressing the same error from the same viewpoint with regards to how we live our life. So if you have your Bibles, let's look together in what Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And continuing on with the discussion we looked at last week, we saw about the Christians taking each other to court and suing each other. Now he's dealing with sexual immorality. And so it begins in verse 12, and it says, All things are lawful for me but not everything is beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now God indeed raised the Lord and he will raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that anyone who is united with a prostitute is one body with her? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But the one united with the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we examine it more closely. May your Holy Spirit once again tonight be our teacher. Lord, that you would give us the wisdom we need, the insight we need, the understanding we need, the discernment we need, so that, Lord, your word will penetrate our minds, our hearts, our spirit, and every part of our being. And, Lord, that uh, wherever we have barriers that we have created, wherever we have ideas or thoughts that are worldly, 
Lord, even tonight, may your word overcome all of that. May we see the truth of your word and implement it into our life. Lord, that we might see that in the days in which we live, how important it is for us to honor you with our body. Lord, thank you for what you have done for us through your son. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to fashion our bodies in such a way that as a result of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the shed blood, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit could then take residence in our body. And, Lord, that we would be in you and you would be in us. And Lord, we don't understand that, but we're grateful that it's truth. And so, Lord, I pray that that Holy Spirit who is with us today, that he will indeed give us all that we need and that we would make our response to your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul is talking about liberty. And so first off, Paul asks about the law of liberty. What is the law of liberty? When we think about liberty, we don't think about law. But there are laws with regards to liberty. And so Paul is here addressing the fact that all things are lawful for me. That's why he uses the word here. It's all things are lawful for me, but not everything's beneficial. All things are lawful. For me, but I'll not be controlled by anything. So here Paul is addressing the law of liberty. Now that begins, first off, with a quest for our freedom, for our liberty. You see, the problem that we have as human beings is we can't get free from ourselves. <laughs> we get free from a lot of things, but we can't get free from ourselves. Have you ever thought about that? You're, you can't get free from yourself. Every day you wake up, you have to be with you. Now you probably hadn't thought about that. You know, there's days when I wouldn't want to be with me, but I can't help it. i got to be with me. You might feel that way sometimes. You might get up and you're in a mood that you don't want to be even around you. You're, so, you're in such a foul mood or, or you have an attitude and you're like, man, if I was somebody else, I wouldn't be around me today because i got a bad attitude. <laughs> but you can't be free from yourself and yourself is the problem oftentimes, myself, yourself. And this is what Paul's telling the Christians. Okay, so you have this... You have adopted what I've taught you, that all things are lawful. But however, you, you don't realize you can't get free from yourself. And there's certain things you need to understand about the law of liberty when it comes to yourself because you're never going to be free from yourself. And there's certain things that you must look at. And the Bible addresses these things. For example, in Isaiah 14, 12, uh, there was a fall of a government leader. This passage of Scripture is also used uh, to talk about the fall of Satan. But there's, there's, uh, there's this idea that you can't get free from yourself in terms of political freedom. If, if, if whatever you are in, in terms of a country, and whatever you're in, in terms of yourself, in terms of how you relate to government and authority, you still can't get away from the fact that there's authority. You still can't get away from the fact that there's political limitations on your life wherever you live, whatever government you live in, what, there are laws in place that you must abide by, you must live by, and so you can't get completely free from political laws. The same thing is true about, true about our personal um, life. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 and 5, those of you who have been with me on Sunday mornings, we were looking at the goodness of God, and, you know, the sin took place in the garden. Well, what happened? Well, <clears throat> they thought they were going to achieve personal liberty by violating the Word of God. But what happened instead is they lost all the blessings that they had otherwise in the Lord and were cast out of the garden, and now they were limited in their life. 
Everything about their life became limited. The ground wasn't going to produce food like they had. They weren't going to find what they had like they found in the garden. They weren't going to have the relationship with the animals that they had. They weren't even going to have the relationship that Adam and Eve had with each other. And they certainly weren't going to have the relationship they had with God. So, so on a very personal level, they discovered that you can't, you can't live without being under the law of liberty, particularly as it relates to what God had set as parameters for you and I to live. There's religious issues with regards to the law of liberty. Again, looking in the book of Genesis in chapter 4, verse 1 and 8, we also examine what took place between Cain and Abel. You see, <clears throat> Abel brought what he wanted, and what he wanted to do was to honor God, so he brought the first of his flock, the very best. He brought the fat portions. He brought everything that was the very best of what he had, the first of what he had, and gave it to the Lord. Now, he did that of his own volition, but Cain just brought some of what he brought. And you remember that God did not have respect to Cain nor his offering because of the attitude that Cain had toward God and the way in which Cain was treating God with his worship. Well, here's the thing. They both had the same liberty to choose how they were going to come to God. But because Cain chose the way of God, I mean, Abel chose the way of God, he, he was accepted. Cain chose his own way. In fact, the Bible speaks of the way of Cain. And therefore, he lost liberty because he, was, he got mad. He killed his brother. He was sent away from God, sent away from his family, sent away from the land. You see, that's, that's one of the things we need to acknowledge, that in terms of liberty, what is liberty? Well, there's the law of liberty. And, uh, and, and so we have to understand the political boundaries we have, the personal boundaries we should have, the religious boundaries we have. Even the moral boundaries, again, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 and 7, we read about the flood. And we read about why the flood came. We read about the fact that God brought about the flood because the earth was filled with wickedness. Well, people were living the way they wanted to live. They were doing what they wanted to do. They had totally disregarded anything that God had said or that, that people had said that God wanted them to live and how they wanted to live. They were just living their life. And now the earth was filled with violence and wickedness. They had lost their liberty. Because they had forsaken the moral boundaries of, in the law of liberty. And we could go on and look in the Bible about economic. In fact, what we saw last Sunday in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 in 1 Corinthians. One of the things that they were in, in danger of doing was losing their economic liberty. They, they could have settled matters within the church. And they could have settled things in a Christ-like way. Instead, they were taking each other to court. And, and, and uh, so they were running the risk of having judgments go against them. But... You see, people don't understand that liberty is just not totally free. There is a law of liberty. And you and I are to understand that in all the areas of our life. Well, let's move on. There's a quest for freedom, and people try to find freedom in, in politics or in, in a political way or personal way, religious way, moral way, economic way. But real freedom comes as a gift. And it comes from God. This is why Jesus said, He whom the Son makes free, he who the Son sets free, is free indeed. You want to know what liberty is? Liberty is to be found in Christ as a gift. You know, there's two views of the gift of freedom in the church historically. There is the traditional view of religious liberty, and what is that? Well, it basically goes like this. Justification is the reward of sanctification. 
In other words, what they're saying is, and this has been true in centuries and centuries of church history, that the church, if you're involved with the church, if you're involved with the, with the sacraments of the church, or involved with the obedience to the church, if you keep the rules of the church, if you do all these things that you're supposed to do with regards to the Bible and so forth, then you may keep your salvation, you may keep uh, your liberty, but you do not have it unless you go through the process of sanctification. In other words, sanctification is the means of justification. That was a traditional view, but that was not a biblical view. You see, the biblical view is quite different. The biblical view is that sanctification is the result of justification. In other words, you are first saved by faith, and because you are then justified, now you are set free to live as Christ would have you to live, and you can become like Jesus. And you don't have to worry about all the minutiae of details like the Jewish people had to do about how many steps you can take on the Sabbath day and, and what kind of clothes you wear and what kind of food you eat and all these other things. But rather because of Christ, we have been set free. But the, the thing about freedom in terms of salvation is we were set free from our sins so that we could be set also free throughout the rest of our life from the, from the power of sin. So we, we're justified, which then results in sanctification. You see, we are not saved by our works, we're saved for good works. And that's how we understand the gift of freedom. Well, that's the law of liberty, but let's look at the limitations of liberty. You see, actually, in this passage of Scripture, uh, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians about the fact that, that while all things were lawful, not everything beneficial, all things were lawful, but not he was not going to be controlled by anything. And, of course, he takes two different appetites of the body. He takes food and he takes sexuality. And, but what he does here is he's talking about the fact that, that there are going to be these limitations on liberty. And there should be two types that you and I observe in our life in order to be truly free. There should be, for example, uh, uh, compulsory limitations. That is, limitations that we understand God has set in place that you and I cannot violate and be free. Let me give you an example. I, I loved uh, for a while uh, having fish in an aquarium. Uh, my uh, best friend that I mentioned this morning, Don Hancock, his, uh, his father had a fish store, tropical fish store, and we'd often go down there and help out. And, and, uh, and so I got acquainted with tropical fish. So when Suzanne and I were married, we uh, were in Natchez, Mississippi, and I thought, I, don't, I think I want a tropical fish aquarium. I just, I just think I'd like to have that kind of, you know, soothing and i just like to watch the fish. So we got the aquarium, we set it up, and, you know, you have to get that water just right, and everything has to be right. So we began to add fish, and you have to be careful what kind of fish you put in with each other because certain fish will eat other fish, and you had to make sure whether the fish was aggressive fish or passive fish and whether it would eat some other fish. But, but the thing was, those fish were in an aquarium and the reason they were in an aquarium, because if they came out of the water, they were no longer free. They would be dead. The fish were only free as long as they were in the water. And you and I are only free as long as we're in a place where we can breathe oxygen. You know, we have to have oxygen. We have to be able to breathe. And if you can't breathe, you're not going to live. And so, so already we understand that there's certain compulsory limitations on our life just based on the fact that you, you don't get out of a place where there's air. You can't live. Fish don't come out of water or they die. And there is a sense in which when you and I 
are saved, the only way you and I can truly be free is be in the Lord, to be in Christ. You can't be free and not be in Christ any more than you can live and, and not have oxygen or be a fish and, and be out of water. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul's trying to get the Corinthians to understand that they need to have some compulsory limitations put upon their life. What kind of compulsory limitations should you and I as believers have in our life? Well, one of them has to do with God's Word. If God's Word says it's wrong, it's wrong. This is what he said earlier when he talked about the fact that the sexually immoral, <clears throat> in fact, Paul, Paul said, do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive, swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't have liberty and be in that environment. The only way you can, and he goes on to say, is such as where some of you once lived this way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you became free the moment you became in Christ. So we have to understand that there should be some compulsory limitations in our life with regards to liberty. In other words, our, our freedom ends at the point God's Word begins. Our freedom ends at the point God's will begins. God's Word says, this is my will for you. And whenever God says, this is my will for you, then that is the limitation of our freedom. But it's good. It's a good limitation. It should be a compulsory limitation that you and I put into our life that says, if it violates God's word, I will not do it. If it violates the will of God, I will not do it. And if it violates God's specific plan or purpose for my life, I will not do it. Why? Because that's how you're truly free. But there's also voluntary limitations. So there are certain things that we could do as Christians, but we don't do. And Paul lays it out why we won't do those things. Because if the permissible, that is, which is lawful, is not profitable, if it doesn't do anything to help us in our growth in the Lord, if it doesn't do anything to help us serving the Lord, if it doesn't do anything in, help, in terms of helping bring people to Jesus and helping us to become all that God wants us to be, then we say no. Not because in and of itself it's wrong, because it's limiting us. It's not profitable to us. If the permissible, that is what is lawful, is too powerful, we should say no. Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. He says, I will not be controlled, and here's what he says, by anything. This happened to me when I was in the Army, by the way. I rededicated my life to the Lord, and of course... Uh, I went forward at Fort Jackson, but I hadn't yet given up alcohol. Uh, I, I, I didn't drink to excess, but I still went out with guys to the NCO club, and I'd get a beer, and I'd drink with the rest of them. And, uh, and then the Lord brought conviction to me one night. Actually, he did it in a very weird way. I won't go into it tonight. It'll weird you out, and I don't want to weird you out, but... But the Lord let me know this is not going to be a part of your life and you better get rid of it and tonight's the night. <laughs> and I had to say yes, Lord, and laid it down. Was it unlawful for me? No, but God had made it known. You're not going to do this. 
because it'll be too powerful. See, that's what destroyed my dad. My dad died as an alcoholic. He died with cirrhosis at the age of 57, and it, I was in danger by being genetically tied to my dad that that would happen to me. And the Lord knew that. He said, you shut this down, and you shut it down now. I'll tell you another instance that happened to me, and that was when I was in the Army and I'd gotten rid of alcohol. And, and uh, of course, I had to clean up my language, too. It took me six months to do that. And, and uh, I remember I bought a brand-new car and ran it over the curb. And that, this was about six months after I thought I was free from all those words, and that, a word came out. And I had to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know that was still there. And it's almost like the Lord says, they will always be there. You must control it. So if I ever have a stroke or something and I can't control my thoughts, you understand you're going to have the most colorful, languaged preacher you ever met. There's no telling what could come out of my mouth if I'm not able to control what the Lord said you must control. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's sometimes when I think it, but I just can't say it. <laughs> Reminds me of Brother Clemens. Some of you remember Brother Clemens was pastor here, and he loved to fish, you know. And, and I'm told this story that he was, he was fishing with one of our deacons, and uh, he got a big old fish up to the boat, and it was a really nice fish. He's fighting this thing, got it right up to the boat, and right as he got it up there, it come off the line. He looked over at Deacon and said, one of us needs to say something. <laughs> and he said, that's why I brought you here, so you could say it. <laughs> so, so here's the other thing real quickly, and I'll get back to the message. But, but I was also having this issue, and this just shows you where the Lord will deal with you. So I'm in the Army, I'm drinking coffee, and I'm drinking almost nonstop. From the morning it starts till whenever I just decide to shut her down. And it got to where if I didn't have a cup of coffee, I could literally watch my hand shake from the lack of caffeine. I mean, I had gotten to that, I'll call it addicted to coffee. I mean, it, was, it, it had mastery over me. I had to have my coffee or else everybody around me is not going to be happy. And I was shaking, and I, just, I realized that that had control over me. And, you know, the Holy Spirit said, stop. Now, he wasn't banning coffee from my life. In fact, I drink coffee today, but I just drink a cup or two, and that's it. And I'm done. But I could not have anything in my life that was going to control me. And this is what Paul says. This is voluntary limitation. Not that coffee was bad, it's that it was too powerful for me at that time. It had too much control over me, and therefore, it had to come out of my life. And folks, that may be different for you. You may have something else that is too powerful in your life. It's controlling you. It's keeping you from your walk with the Lord. It's keeping you from growing in the Lord. It's keeping you from doing the things God wants you to do. And if it becomes too powerful, it doesn't matter that you could do it. You should not. You should limit yourself for the sake of the Lord. That's, that's true liberty. So if the permissible is not profitable, it ought to be voluntarily limited in your life. If the permissible is too powerful, it ought to be voluntarily limited in your life. If the permissible is not productive, if it doesn't 
produce what God wants produced in our life, we have to take evaluation of it and say, this may be one of the things that the Lord says must be pruned out of our life. I'm reminded again what Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And every branch that abides in me bears fruit. But if it does bear fruit, what am I going to do? I'm going to come and prune it so it can bear more fruit. And then, ultimately, it's going to be pruned to the point that we bear much fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. What's all involved in that? Pruning. Now, the Lord can prune us, but it's better if you and I prune ourselves what needs to come out of our life that keeps us from being fruitful. And this is what is voluntary limitations that we set for ourselves. This is the limitations of liberty. And then very quickly, let's look at the lifestyle of the liberated. Again, what was going on in the church? Well, there are people saying, I can eat whatever I want. I can drink whatever I want. It doesn't matter. Why? Because the body it doesn't matter. It's only the spirit that matters. Paul says, no. Yes, you have a stomach. Yes, you have an appetite. Yes, you need to eat. But you need to watch what you eat. You need to be careful what you're doing here because the body is not made for food. Jesus said, man shall not live by Bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus said, you don't live for the temporary. You don't live for that which will be discarded. And Paul says both of these, the body and the stomach and the food, it all perishes. This should not be the, this should not be the uh, end of our life, that we just simply live for the day and live for the body. But then he also goes into the second appetite that the body has, and that is sexuality, controlling the lusts of the body. You see, the body has been made by God, and it's been made in such a way that the body and the spirit equals a person, that the body and the spirit influence each other, that the body will be vacated by the spirit at death. We know this, that Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, there is a time at death when the spirit leaves the body and is present with God. The body decays. Paul says here, yes, there's going to be a resurrection. But the appetites of the body, whether it's food or whether it's sexuality, understand that the body has been made by God. The body will return to dust. And yes, the body will be raised. Why? Because we're not whole till we have a body. we got people right now. we got loved ones in heaven. I've got loved ones in heaven right now. And they're not angels, by the way. That'd be a demotion. They're around the throne of God, and they're praising God, and they're there, and they know what's going on. They, they have hearing, they have the ability to communicate, because our spirit can communicate with the Spirit of God. Therefore, we never lose who we are. We don't lose our personality by losing our body. But here's the thing, we still need a body. God intends us to be whole. So at that time when Jesus comes back to the earth, he's going to bring with him those who have died in the Lord. He's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And when he brings those back, what's going to happen? There's going to be a resurrection of their bodies. What had been put into the ground is going to come forth. So they'll be whole. And you and I who are alive would just be transformed immediately to have the same kind of body that is fit for eternity. Now, I said all that. We're going to talk more about that later as we get into the letter. But I'm saying all that to say this. Yes, the body has been made by God ultimately to even be resurrected. But presently, you and I must not misuse this body. 
not with regards to that which is temporary, such as food, or that which is the appetite for sexuality. Because God has set in His Word the parameters as to how we're to conduct ourselves in this area of life. God intended for sex to be between a man and a woman who are married. Anything before is called in the Bible fornication. Anything that occurs during marriage, outside of marriage, is called adultery. Any other kind of activity that's not uh, pleasing to the Lord, that's called lasciviousness. It's called wickedness. It's called all kind of things. But, uh, there's a general Greek word called porneia. This basically means anything that's wrong. But here's the point. That God said, I've got limits for you. And their limits are there for a reason. Why? Because, as Paul says here, if you sin against your own body, all these other sins, you, you commit theft, you commit lying, you commit uh, bearing false witness, you do all these other things, well, that's outside the body. But he says when you commit sexual immorality, now you're involving your body. And what is your body? As a Christian, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you can't do anything with your body that you're not taking the Lord with you into that. Now think about that for a moment. When people commit immorality, they are actually, if they're a Christian, they're bringing the Lord into that. And again, I hate to tell you too much about my past, but I, you know, there was that time where I was drinking, even though I'd already, quote, rededicated my life to the Lord, and I did. But, but there were some things the Lord still had to cut out and prune out. And one of those occasions, I went with some guys. I didn't know where they were taking me. I rode with them in the car. I didn't say, where are we going? It's one of those reasons why you don't become unequally yoked with unbelievers. You better be careful where you're going when you're going with unbelievers. And they got me in a car, and we were in Savannah, Georgia, and we went down to, I'll just call it the red light district. And they had a place there for people, the soldiers went, that I'll just be honest with you. While the whole time I was there, I said, Lord, don't come back right now. Please do not come back right now. I do not want to be raptured from this place. <laughs> and I wasn't, I just, that's all I could think about. The body, wherever we go with it, whatever we do with it, we're involving our Lord. We're involving the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul is so concerned here that they don't adopt the Greek belief that the body and the spirit don't matter that, that one doesn't affect the other. He's saying very much it matters because the body not only was made by God, but it is for God. It's, the body's more than its appetites. It's to be pleasing to God. And that brings me to the last thing I'll say tonight, and then we'll close. The body is the means of glorifying God. See, there's a clear understanding of the body's function. It's been made for the Lord. It's a, Paul says it all right here. It's been made for the Lord. It's a member of Christ. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. Somehow I think there ought to be a sign around us that says, I belong to God. And this body belongs to God. And how we treat our body, what we do with our body, matters to God. That's why it's important we think about what we're doing with our body, what we're consuming, what we're indulging ourselves with, that anything that we know is harmful to our body, we understand that we're actually destroying the body that God has given to us. We ought to be careful in our discipline of our body's activities. Now, the negative view of this is found in verse 18, where it says, "Every uh, flee sexual immorality. In other words, 
Uh, you should flee overindulgence. You ought to flee uh, fornication. You ought to flee adultery. You ought to flee all these other sexually immoral acts and everything else. Anything that will hinder you in your walk with God and your growth in the Lord. But there's a positive view as well. You can use your body for what it was meant to do. You can. You can honor God. You can glorify God. Your body can be the means by which we just did here just a few moments ago as Brother David was leading us. Our body can be a means of praising God. Our lips, our tongues can praise God. We can offer prayers to God. Our mind can be used for God. That's why the Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with every part of our being. We can love the Lord. Why? Because that's what our bodies were made for. Every part of our body. To do what it was made to do. Keep it clean for the sake of Christ and for the sake of our witness. To demonstrate the very presence of God in our life. Listen. The Bible tells that we are to walk in the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Well, what is the flesh? Well, it's our body and our body that's corrupted. No, we're not to walk according to the flesh. We're walk according to the Spirit. But we are in the flesh. Therefore, the Holy Spirit needs to have control over our flesh, over our body. And as He does, we demonstrate the presence of God in our life. In other words, we need to draw attention to the owner of our body, not the tenant of our body. You know the difference between owning a house and renting a house? Well, this body is God's house. Your body is the house of the Lord. And you and I are just tenants living in the body. And we need to make sure our bodies are for the owner. Because we have been bought with a price. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God with your body. So to sum it up real quickly, yes, we have liberty as Christians. There's a lot of things that we could say are lawful to us. There's a lot of things that we could say we can do or we could do, but the question is, should we? Is it profitable? Will it hinder us in our walk with the Lord? Is it too powerful for us to master? Therefore, it needs to be done away with. And that can be anything. That could be a certain type of drink or food. It could be anything of, of our appetites. You see, real liberty, real freedom is to be found in Christ and serving Christ. You and I will never be more free than we are in total, complete submission to our Lord. And it's in then that he gives us the blessings that only can come when we are in that position with him. I don't know about you, but I like the statement, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as being our inalienable rights. But folks, real freedom is to be found in life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. God help us to pursue that with our bodies and with our spirits. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word as we examine this passage. Lord, I pray it's been a time for us to examine our own lives. And Lord, truly there are things that we could do. But Lord, 
we must look at your word and determine whether these are things that we need to voluntarily limit ourselves. Just as there are those things, Lord, your word has already told us explicitly that we need to limit ourselves with regards to your word, your will, and even to the specific plan or purpose you've put into our life. So, Lord, tonight as we close the service, may this be a time for your Holy Spirit and the light and the casting of the light of your word upon us, that we might see clearly those things that may be in our life, that, Lord, while they may be permissible, they're not profitable, they're not expedient, they're, they simply need to be limited in our life, perhaps even completely removed. And, and, Lord, if that's the case, help us, Lord, to be willing to do that for your kingdom, for your glory. But ultimately, Lord, because you dwell within us, our body belongs to you. It is a temple of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we would use our bodies the way they were designed to be used to please you. So, Lord, I pray that tonight, if there's anyone here who has yet to surrender all of their being to you, in other words, they've not yet had that time and place in their life where they came to faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for their sins, who was buried, who rose from the grave, who ascended to heaven, and one day is coming again and bringing with him all of those who have died already in the Lord. That, Lord, that if there's someone here who's not ready for that, who's walking as a dead person because they've not yet been made alive in Christ, that, Lord, tonight they would say yes to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, tonight there'd be those who would say yes to you in terms of what needs to take place in their life so that they might continue the journey of growth and maturity and become the person you want us to be, doing what you want us to do until you come again. Lord, have your will in your way in this time of invitation. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you tonight about a need for just reaffirming His Lordship in your life and dealing with certain things that you know in your life needs to be dealt with. Maybe it's about baptism. Maybe it's about church membership. Maybe it's about something else. Maybe it's about serving the Lord in some way. Whatever it may be, though, as the Lord speaks, you respond as we sing. Brother David. Let's all stand. <clears throat>